Good evening, listeners. It's February 3rd, and you're tuned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Lillian Padgett-Cobb. And I'm Marcus Weinman. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration where you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live and should they occur any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight we are joined by Tatiana Dolgashina from the School of Writing, Literature, and Film. She is a second-year student in the MFA program with a focus on poetry. As part of her thesis work, Tatiana is writing about her experience as an immigrant through the medium of poetry. Hey, Tatiana. Hi. So thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thank you. um, Your focus in the MFA program is on writing poetry. And so can you tell us what it is that you write about and why you write about that? Yeah, so... I'm currently um, writing about my immigrant identity um, and primarily focusing on the emotional displacement that I had to live through growing up as an immigrant in different countries. Um, and the way the experience went is I was, I was born in Russia and then I grew up in Ukraine and South America and um, I had to speak Russian, Spanish, and English, and learn those languages all before the age of 13. Um, And I think in the society, uh, we understand um, very little about how refugee and immigrant children experience the trauma of immigration um, and how they are shaped by these experiences. Uh, Because children aren't don't see the world in this logical, rational way, and they don't really understand what, how, and why things happen as they do, um, or how displacement is happening when it does happen. And also children, they, they don't understand how through like an immigration experience, they're losing things like language and culture and family. And uh, all of these things are being forgotten as they're growing up and lost to them. So um, really children are the most vulnerable of immigrants. Um, So personally, I'm only recently trying to or starting to understand what um, my own writing is about and how much it has, has been through the child's perspective, how much I've been writing through that lens of what happened in my own childhood um, and how much my writing has been about loss and about forgetting culture and forgetting myself, where I was born and where I come from, um, from a country that doesn't really exist anymore, that culture doesn't no longer exist. 
Yeah, so one thing I'm wondering is about your writing process. And it seems like it's sort of this therapeutic thing that you do to basically understand your history, but also to make sense of it and to cope with it. And so can you tell us a little bit about your writing process? And have you always found writing to be sort of something that was, I guess, helpful to you? Um, yeah, so I, I'm the kind of person that I need to create. I need to write very regularly to understand what's happening in my life and to process life. And I think a lot of people have some sort of way they deal with, with life and understanding day-to-day experiences. For me, that's always been writing. Um, but until recently, I haven't really had the space and time to, to do so as much. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had learned English, Spanish, and Russian. And I'm curious if that had an impact on your writing as well. Does that change the way you write or the way you think about things? Yeah, so, I mean, only recently, since I've been writing more publicly in this program, I'm told that I'm uh, my writing is syntactically different than normal or average and I've been trying to understand that myself because I've never I never knew that before um and I've been thinking that um it's two things it's how I think which is because it's a combination of three different cultures and three different languages and also how um how I let art express and channel that inner self that I have that isn't trying to assimilate you know isn't trying to like be that adult person or that professional person or that writer um but just just writing through that inner self um and and I guess like um in a way my my inner language that comes out is technically deformed because it is like this combination of of Um, identities through different cultures it seems like though like you said deformed but it seems like that actually might make your poetry more unique and more interesting as a consequence of that actually I think so because I feel like it lets me play around with a lot of expressions and a lot of um, maybe a bigger range of what I'm experiencing but I what I've uh, noticed is a lot of people think it's grammatically incorrect too, and and I know that there there's a fine line between you know this doesn't make sense because it doesn't sound right and this sounds unique you know it's, there's a fine line between that. Yeah. So one thing you had mentioned is that you're reading about Soviet history, and I'm wondering, so how does what place does that have in the larger picture of your thesis work of writing about your experience as an immigrant and then also understanding the historical context of what was happening I guess historically and culturally in Soviet Russia can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah um I I feel like I'm also writing about war and history and a lot of communism and how it, it went in Soviet Union is it happened around these things, these really horrible things. 
and traumatic experiences. And then and then it created this culture of people needing to live around these things, li- living with the knowledge of these things going on and happening and haven't had happened to their families or their lineages. And I feel like I am part of that tradition, but I've been so disconnected at the same time because um, I we've had to leave Russia and I've kind of grown up in this displaced in between zone where I don't really understand what had happened because I was a child and then not much was explained to me because I was a child um, and, and it's a very sensitive topic to speak with Uh, with your family about Um, so I'm turning to history books and trying to uh, bridge some ideas connect the dots and it's strange to read history and kind of uh, see yourself in it because you don't think about yourself as something in a history book Um, but it totally is beginning to make sense as to how my life story is affected by this history, how very directly my lineage and my family have been affected that in ways that I never knew, but I kind of felt. So in your analysis of that so far, you're studying the history around your life and your family's life from Soviet Russia and onwards as uh, your family left the country. So far, what if any you know insights have you really gleaned from that you know how intertwined has your life story really been with the history of soviet russia um i'm still trying to understand um there's a lot of kind of vague details i've heard about my family and since i don't really have my extended family around. It's just my parents in the United States. Um, I've only heard little stories here and there. Um, Most of what I've gained from looking at history is this very direct understanding of how Soviet, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991 and this very direct outcome of what had happened to me because of that and to my family because of that and um and and who I am as a Russian also because I was raised outside of Russia uh, but I was raised as a Soviet Russian and I didn't really witness this new Russia that came to be in in the 90s and people my age who stayed in Russia are kind of different very different morally and ethically from me because you know they grew up in this democracy so to speak you know, and I come from these very Soviet Russian values. Um, and it, it's more of a cultural, I guess, understanding that the history is, is helping me to get to. So I guess it's, this is that idea that you were talking about earlier of displacement, where you've lived in these different countries and sort of it's like you don't really have... I guess, a bond with any of those specific cultures of the countries that you've lived in. And so it's difficult to, I guess, assimilate or 
sort of adopt that culture as your own. And that sort of contributes to your identity formation in a sense. And can you talk about that process of that displacement? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> my experience, my <clears throat> childhood wasn't just leaving one place and going to another place. Um, it didn't end there. The displacement that <clears throat> that I'm writing about in poetry is something that <clears throat> continued through five different countries. Um, some of them where I had to learn new languages. Um, I didn't look like everybody else. Um, and, and that that shaped me because as a kid, I just internalized this and I thought, oh, this is normal. It's normal to you know, keep changing languages, to keep changing homes, to keep crossing borders and feeling like I don't, I don't really understand what people here know about the world kind of idea. Um, and that, that was internalized and um, over and over this happened. Um, so I didn't have the adult perspective of like using words and logic to explain this away. So then my, my childhood was this focus on assimilation and just trying to understand what is happening, what's being spoken, what school do I go to, um, do I go to school, where is our home, uh, just trying to kind of assimilate and fit in. And now I'm an adult and I'm like, oh, I just you know spent my life not really knowing why I'm trying to assimilate, not really knowing that past, knowing what that identity means or what that identity is. Um, yeah, and I'm still trying to assimilate, still as an adult. It's sort of like building up these different layers and then through the writing, it seems like peeling them back a bit and understanding what led to each step of your identity formation? Um, yeah, writing has given me way more understanding about who I am than anything else I've done. And I, you know, I was a scientist, or I still am a scientist, I have all these degrees in science, but focusing on writing in my life at this moment has really given me so much in terms of deciphering all of these layers that I've just been like thrown into um, as a person. And um, I'm actually reading this really interesting book called The Future of Nostalgia by Svetlana Boim. And that she says um, we need to deal with nostalgia in order to not be consumed by it. And I felt like that spoke so much about where I am right now in my writing is that I'm creating this like physical space um, of nostalgia, of those things where because I cannot go back in time and understand them. You know, I can't go back to the 90s and to being a kid and understanding what is that loss of language, what's that loss of culture, but I can write through it and under, and create the space and reality where I can take it a step at a time and kind of create the space I can just walk into and walk around and and see what I'm ready for now. So then... You mentioned before, obviously, you're, you and your family left Soviet Russia, then spent some time in South America. 
before coming to the United States, correct? Yeah. So I think you said even before the age of 13, I believe you already knew three different languages and you know, sort of taking that together with what you mentioned a little bit earlier in the fact that you have a background as a formally trained scientist, it seems like there's a lot of different factors that are sort of melding and blending together into the, the literal act of writing. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about how all of those different linguistic influences mm -hmm. and your uh, sort of background as a formally trained scientist have informed or uh, made the process of writing different for you compared to um, anybody else in your position? You mean in my program? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to learn English um, basically in high school. And so, which is a whole thing. And <laughs> it, yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't, you know, I didn't go to, I didn't go to college right away and I didn't, I didn't major in English. And then, um, I didn't go to grad school right away. Um, so I, I guess in that, in that sense, I'm coming to this program wanting to just practice this art in this expression that I'm so passionate about. And, and I'm looking at this in a very like pure artistic sense and, you know, my syntactical differences and I'm just trying to embrace that identity. Um, but I guess traditionally, traditionally academic or art and academia is not really, um, it's not, it's not really for that as much as it is about learning the craft, the traditional craft. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm trying to do both and uh, trying to kind of catch up with like the knowledge of, you know, literature and craft and writing and trying to embrace this immigrant self and also, um, yeah, just that's me. So you mentioned you were originally trained as a wildlife biologist. And do you think that your training as a scientist prepared you in any way, any meaningful way for what you're doing now? Or are those two disciplines very, very separate in the sense that there's no overlap? I think I'm passionate about both because I need both in my life as a, as a human. I think both are pursuits to understand life and ourselves through the method of observation and um, individual experience. And I think I need both. I've done science for many years, and a lot of that include, included observation of the natural world or, you know, employing the scientific method, speci very specific, strict methodologies. Um, and now I'm in this, in this part of my life where I'm very interested in that individual expression, who are we, you know, in in relation to that world. Um, I'm not sure, I guess, if science is making me a better writer. <laughs> I know that I'm passionate about both, and I want to do both somehow, but I don't yet know. You had mentioned something when we talked before about how it was shocking coming to 
the MFA program and of being confronted with discussing subjective ideas versus, I guess, objective ones. And can you tell us more about that difference, I guess, between scientific discourse and, I guess, more academic English discourse that Yeah, um, it's kind of tricky uh, because in science, I feel like I was... I was taught to constantly prove someone wrong, <laughs> to find the holes in somebody's argument somehow, just, you know, for the purpose of knowing more and, and having better, you know, um, theories and and having a, a better perspective. So it's always, I felt like in science, it was always like, well, where can this go wrong kind of question. And in art, it's more subjective and it's, and it's like, well, nobody's wrong. That, that's, the, that's the default, which is fine. Um, but I think it was a shock because I, I came in thinking, well, there's only one answer. So why don't we just get there? And there really isn't in art, you know, there's just because everybody's experience is as valid as somebody else's somebody else's experience right and so you you kind of have to accept that and I think in science we we don't do that so then you mentioned sort of the the way both science and art go about their respective crafts is different uh, from a sense of objectivity versus subjectivity in you know, science you know, the hard science backgrounds the sort of fruits of the labor so to speak are putting the findings of the the data, the results, the experiments in a publication and into a journal. Is there a difference between art and science in that regard? How does one in sort of this realm of art that you're exploring take what they've crafted and what they've written and sort of disseminate that to the public in general? Uh, There's also journals, you know, for literature. but it's different because, you know, in science you do research and it's kind of like you're responsible to share with the world what you learned or what failed or what succeeded. And that's like the responsibility as a scientist that we have to society. Uh, in literature, it's not like that. It's actually very competitive uh, to publish and subjective and maybe lucky and also, it costs money, um, and I know it does in science as well. Um, but it's it's like a game of statistics, whether you get published or not. It's not whether you know you have good results, and it's just it's just hard to make it at all as a writer, and you know, in the society where we don't really give enough space to art as a as a valid thing for people that we, something that we need in our lives, you know. So are you publishing yourself or do you have any goals toward publishing work? Yeah, my goal has been for a while to to write a book and that's, that's literally all I want. I don't even care if I make it or <laughs> I'm not gonna be famous or anything. Um, I just I want to write a book and I want to share these 
these things that, that I've been talking about and share them with people, whoever wants to read it, you know, whether it's like, you know, when I was in, when I was a teenager, I would just go to the library and read all the books and that's really nerdy. And I'm just like, that's who I'm writing for. Like I want that nerdy kid who maybe is an immigrant and is trying to see herself in a book, any book, you know, that's, that's something that's hard too, is not seeing your identity out in the world, not be, not talking about it. So that is a, provides a segue into the next part of our show, wrapping up, where we ask you to provide a piece of advice. And this is geared toward the audience of your choosing, yourself at an earlier point, or someone considering grad school. And yeah, would you share with us? Uh, my advice would be for students, and it would be to just spend time in your life not going to school, maybe not go to grad school right away. Um, and and the, what I've heard when, when I was considering grad school is, well, you really got to know what, you really have to know what you're going for. Other, you can't just go, you know, because you have not, no other plans. And while that, that's true, I think you need to live a little to really know what you should get into in grad school. I think it's also about self-confidence and like emotional knowledge. Um, like what, what happens when, um, when you don't have an, a specific path to follow that somebody else set? That what happens when you have no rules to your life? Who do you become? Who are you? And I think that's where that real like self-knowledge comes in because it's not something passive that's just going to come in into your life. You have to really work for it. Super interesting. Yes. Say so, and that goes back to what you mentioned earlier in that you had waited before going to grad school. And yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask you is um, if that had changed your perspective that you thought um, waiting to go versus just like, going like first thing to grad school like that period in between if you if that was like really instructive for you or formative even yeah um yes but I wish I'd waited more Hmm. I I think it took me three years or something like that between undergrad and grad school um, and yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm sure I was very different, more mature person three years after undergrad. And I had a lot of different jobs that helped me shape what I wanted um, and my goals, very specific goals in grad school. But I think I think I want I should have waited longer. <laughs> and before I forget also, who who is your advisor? My advisor yes. here is Dr. Karen Holmberg. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the other thing is we play you out the song. And so you chose a song. Can you tell us what it is and why you chose it? Yeah. Um, I chose a, a song from this really popular Soviet movie. It's... Um, it's a New Year's movie that they play, uh, or they used to play at least, every New Year's. Um, and the song from it is called If You Don't Have an Ant. And I chose it because um, Soviet songs are like 
strangely humorous, but like in a really strange way. And the song talks about, um, you know, if you don't have something, you're never going to hurt. You're never going to lose it if you don't have it. And then it ends with, if you don't have a life, then you will never die. And I thought, my my thesis is so much about loss. And I thought that was, that was funny. And before we play the song, also, you're going to share with us two pieces of your poetry after the song. Um, yes. So... And we'll hear from you more about that after the song. Okay. Let me. Ты сами иметь или не иметь, иметь или не иметь. That's great. Awesome. I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're also going to hear from Tatiana two pieces of poetry that she's written. And so, Tatiana, um, whenever you're ready. Yeah, so I brought two poems. Uh, one is called Potatoes with the Skin On, and uh, the second one is called He is the Lost. So, whenever you're ready. Potatoes with the Skin On. Potatoes with the skin on and all other things I'm afraid to say to my mother. You know how the soil ruptures beneath your feet with the feces of pigs and ungulates. How can you eat that trash, she would say. So I'm afraid to speak around her Soviet knowledge. There was only one cow at the time of invasion, and they took it so that my lineage would starve. And what else did they take? More than the cow could provide. Between the ribs, what else did they take? The young man with guns, who only knew their country home, as if blinded by the dry snow of Siberian winter, where they would later die with where millions of others would sink into the earth, inside the cracks with the potato skins, inside that bloody soil harnessing the feed, inside that foiled time of century we're not allowed to talk about. There, where young soldiers go to die because they sought what death's supposed to feel, what's now supposed to be. Now that we're left, just us, where are we supposed to go? How can you eat that trash, my mother says to me, after we've both lost it, our homeland, after we have both lost the earth. The second poem, titled, He is the Lost. An expensive space where everything will happen to us at once. Where the morning is both cold and hot at the same time. Where my dyslexic brother can read the words on the page as they float away. Where the mountain air is both a cloud that engulfs and an open sea that loses you. My brother is now lost, I mean to the open sea, I mean. In a country where he was born but did not learn to crawl, how unfair to the children of foreigners, like an extension to the land but without the land the children crawl. The earth is red beneath their knuckles. Because of soil or because of the blood the heart produces, 
One don't know. Still, my brother is now lost, I mean. He got the sickness of the world, I mean. That one you get when you leave your country home, at time of birth, where the water runs a different direction, or the migrating of the birds goes a new way. Time stops there. Everything that happened still remains. The blood your heart created is still flowing there. I am the lost, I mean. We grabbed my brother by the armpits before he learned to crawl so we could run, and his feet dangled off the ground where he met time. And here, time grabbed him by the ankles, too, and down the spiral of the earth he went inside. That was before time sounded so strange to us and broke our ears in half. That was when the morning time existed where everything could be at once. The spring bloomed flowers, and the chill enveloped us in one. My brother's feet, touching the ground in silence, where children were once born without the foreign earth to lose them. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. (laughs) So we'll be playing music for the next... 30 minutes or so and we have a new show next week too I believe I'll have to check who's on that but thanks again to Tatiana for coming on the show and here's some music thanks for listening <laughs>